This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Here again, Doug Collum and Irene Yen. Well, welcome back to Sirius XM's Bay Area Ventures, live from the campus of Wharton, San Francisco. I'm your host, Irene Yen. I'm here with my co-host, Doug Collum, and if you're just joining us, in the previous hour, we were speaking with Adam Braun, the CEO and co-founder of Mission U, uh, and we're excited about our other guests coming up. So for those of people who are just now tuning in, um, our show is about the world of entrepreneurship. We frequently talk with uh, founders and CEOs and thought leaders in the Bay Area, and um, occasionally we bring in investors, so we absolutely have a chance to to inquire about the investment side of the, the equation. If you've got a question, uh, we'd love for you to join us. You can reach us at 844-WHARTON. This is a talk show. That's 844-942-7866, and our phone lines are open. So we're joined now and excited to welcome Heidi Patel um, to our show. And Heidi will be sharing her story with us, but like we did in the prior hour, hour we want to make sure we don't lose all the details because she's done such uh, amazing work leading up to her role here at Rethink uh, Impact. So Heidi is currently a partner at Rethink Impact, but previously she was a president of New Island Capital Management, which is an institutional scale and a 100 impact focus investment advisor to a um, high net, ultra high net worth family. And prior to this, she was an Acumen Fund fellow working with Delight Design India and a director at Pacific Community Ventures, which is uh, a double bottom line PE firm and nonprofit organization focused on local economic development. And prior to that, she was a founding member of AOL Time Warner Ventures. So it was really exciting to have her on her show to talk about what she's doing now. Heidi, welcome to our program. Thanks so much. Great to be here. So Heidi, you know, for our listeners, you know, you have a really interesting um, path um, that led you to Rethink Impact. And we'd love to hear your story about what led you to this space specifically in the area of social impact and impact investing uh, in general, then ultimately to um, lead Rethink Impact. Sure. So out of college, I was classically trained as an investor first in investment banking and then made the switch over to corporate VC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved the work. You know, I I loved the deal process. I loved looking at emerging technologies. I loved working with entrepreneurs, but I always felt like something was sort of missing. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in San Diego um, and both my parents were really involved in the social sector. So my dad was very much a public servant. He was a veteran. Now he's a judge and my mom was an attorney, but she worked on water policy for 25 years. So really big, you know, social environmental issue in, in Southern California. And so the message at home is always really clear, you know, have have a career and excel in it in in your profession, but figure out a way to give back to the community around you. And I felt as though my work in impact investing and and venture had a lot of the professional components, but it was missing sort of that social component. So I went to business school to figure out how to combine the two. And that started me on this 10 year, you know, plus journey into impact investing, which has led me to my role now at Rethink Impact. Wow. So when you were um, in school, was that your first exposure to impact investing, like that it even existed? It was, you know, my, I have to credit my sister um, Mm -hmm. with talking to me about venture philanthropy. So I really went to the business school at Stanford to figure out what that meant. Could I take my venture capital training and think about a new way of doing philanthropy? And when I was there on the ground, started learning more about, you know, social purpose business and double line, double bottom line businesses. And the idea that I actually could be an investor and create positive social good along the way was really exciting. So I, I interned at Pacific Community Ventures between my two years, and that just kind of launched me into the space. So I need to ask a question just for yeah. people who are listening in and not sure about the terms. It sounds 
I mean, on on its surface, it sounds like a bit of an oxymoron. Mm -hmm. You're doing venture, you're making investments, which to me connotes financial returns and return on investments. Buy low, sell high, right? Right, right. And but having a, a beneficial social impact. So how how do you reconcile the two? Is it a different kind of investment? Are you targeting financial returns? Or are you targeting uh, uh, a social good as your principal objective? Yeah, I would say that the answer is both and. Okay. Um, so it, <laughs> it really you know, impact investing exists on a spectrum, and there are a lot of different ways to do this work. You know, I think it started out really um, in the seventies. You know, from the faith-based movement, from anti-apartheid movements, how do we think about our investment portfolios and take things out of our portfolio that aren't aligned with our values? And then the next phase was really investing in a good corporate citizens. So some people call that ESG investing, so environmental, social, and governance policy. So investing in companies that have you know exemplary practices when it comes to how they handle their workforce, how they engage with their communities. And then what we do at Rethink Impact is impact investing takes it yet one step further, working with companies where their core product or service is trying to tackle a pressing social or environmental problem. So there's an intentionality within impact investing that we're really focused on. And as I said, there's a variety of ways to do it. You know, there's really a spectrum and there there are um, funds and products out there that I would say are quasi-philanthropic, impact first. Mm-hmm. But what we do with Rethink Impact is really try to find those those opportunities where impact and returns go hand in hand. Right. So we call these convergent business models. So doing impact investing right. in a way where yeah. there is no compromise on returns. That's our focus. Right. So it's not necessarily mutually exclusive. You c- it's both and. You can both do both. And, and, and you're right. not targeting a lesser ROI from an investment standpoint than if you're, than if you're going after a traditional tech company. Not at all. And if anything, we want to to beat the market. You know, I think we want to be that beacon that helps pull more capital into the impact investing space. So I think what's been great about, you know, our our fundraising process, you know, when, when we were going through that is that we were pulling people into impact investing for the very first time. Their very first impact investments were into Rethink Impact. And I think it's really critical if we're going to solve these big global issues, these pressing environmental issues, is that we find a way to pull mainstream commercial capital into the space. And that means we have to do it in a way that doesn't compromise on returns. Absolutely. So I, you know, so for the folks who are just joining us, because we love to talk about the more about impact investing in general, but what does Rethink Impact do? When you mentioned the impact investing spectrum, where does Rethink Impact lie on that spectrum? Yeah, so we are an early stage venture fund, and in case it's helpful context, we're the yeah. largest impact fund in the U.S. that also has a gender lens, so we manage about $110 million. So we focus, we have basically three lenses when we look for our companies. So the first is we're looking, you know, as we mentioned, for these companies that can drive great financial returns. Mm-hmm. Two, we're looking for companies that are using technology as a way to drive social change and to really tackle big issues. And we focus on the areas of health, Mm -hmm. the education sector, sustainability in the environment, and economic empowerment or financial inclusion. Mm -hmm. And lastly, we have a gender lens. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're looking for companies that have gender diverse leadership teams, if not a female CEO. And we do that for impact reasons, but also we think that's actually going to drive better results for the fund overall. I wonder that's a, that's a, leads into the next question, right. which is so, so focusing on women managed or women founded companies. That's right. It's, I've, I actually, I read an article today that came out from the Harvard Business School, I believe. But mm-hmm. I think there there have been other studies and other research that talk about 
financial performance in the context of management groups where you have women included? Mm-hmm. Maybe, I mean, you must have some information at hand that you can share with us. We do. I think, I think the answer is diversity is a winning strategy. And McKinsey has come out with some great statistics on diversity in the workplace where they looked at um, gender diverse leadership teams and those companies were 15% better positioned to have great outcomes and ethnically diverse. They were 35% better positioned to have great outcomes. Outcomes in the financial sense? Outcomes in the financial sense. That's right. Um, You know, we think about women right now are starting businesses at two times the rate of men. And, you know, when they're venture-backed, they tend to be much more capital efficient. So venture-backed, women-led tech companies actually have 35% higher ROI than their male counterparts. Um, the Peterson Institute did some really interesting research where they looked at this really large cohort of companies. And when these businesses went from 0% women on the management team to 30% women on the management team, they saw a 15% pickup in net revenue. And First Round Capital, which is a really early stage venture firm here in the Bay Area, which a lot of people know about, did a retrospective. I think they did did something like 300 really early stage investments over a 10-year period. And they published um, on this where they did this retrospective and looked back. And what they found was the female-led companies in their portfolio had 63% better financial performance. I think I saw that. I I saw that. Yeah. So, you know, the data is in. The data is supporting that. The data (laughs) is in. And it's, you know, kind of top to bottom. And it's not a pipeline issue. It's really a bias issue. And there's some really – there's some structural things going on in our industry. And I think, you know, part of the reason we launched Rethink Impact is to solve some of these capital gaps because um, these are really big missed opportunities. And if you can turn up the volume on impact and turn up the volume on gender and your investing strategy, that should drive great returns because right. that's what the data is telling us. It's good business. That's right. And how have you seen, um, have you seen this, um, this pattern in the companies that, in which you invest? So the data supporting that women-led companies drive better returns, a better bottom line. Um, and certainly that's your thesis. And how have you seen that evolve with the companies in which you've invested? Yeah, I mean, I think women are, um, they, because of the volume of capital is not available to them on the same levels for whatever these structural reasons are, they're really capital efficient, mm. right? And so I think that some of the patterns that we're seeing is that um, our entrepreneurs tend to talk about the projections with what is achievable, not just what might be possible if all stars align. And so they tend to be able to budget well to hire great teams, diverse teams, and to really orient them and inspire them to hit achievable goals. And once you start kind of having those ring the bell moments right. one after the other, it can be really inspirational and great for hiring you know, that next layer of team and, and really kind of keeping people on, on track towards success. So I wonder, um, I want to bring you back to a comment you made just a few minutes ago, sure. which is um, you went out and completed some fundraising, and I think you identified the amount of money that you have under management now, mm-hmm. which is 110 yeah. million. And you said some of those investors, <laughs> it, may, it almost sounded as if for some of these investors, which are investing in Rethink Impact, mm-hmm. in effect, in the fund, in the firm, it's a bit of an experiment from them because this is not, I, I guess the reason we're talking right now is this is a bit of a of an outlier. And yeah. the point is it shouldn't be. It should be mainstream, but it is today. And you have some traditional financial institutions that are investing in you as limited partners. It's an experiment for them. Was it a a bit of a uphill pitch when you showed up on their doorstep and say, we have three lenses through which we evaluate our portfolio companies? 
Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you manage that? It's certainly an unusual story, right? So two of our three partners are women. Mm-hmm. Um, we focus on impact companies plus a gender lens, which can be a big mouthful if you're hearing the story for the first time. Right. And we ended up with this incredible LP base. Um, so we have investors that are 52% women, which is really unusual. And we have investors from the majority of states. I think we have investors from 32 states. So it's a really diverse investor community. And what we think is, and that's actually become part of our impact narrative. Impact investing is something that can't, that has appeal across the aisle, right? Um, on one side of the aisle, people love it because it's solving big social or environmental issues that are so entrenched, right? Mm-hmm. And on the other side, they're using private sector dollars to do it. So there's appeal on both sides. And I think what we found in our investor base is typically they fell into you know one of three buckets. They were folks that were investing in us because of the gender story. So they might have been incredibly successful female entrepreneurs on their own. Mm-hmm. And they loved the idea of women investing in women who are investing in women. There are people who are really philanthropic and they might really care about issues within healthcare or within mm-hmm. the environment right. and climate change or poverty alleviation. So they were in us for the impact piece. And then there are 30 people that were just really sophisticated investors who are really active in venture capital, and they saw our strategy as a great diversifier for a great venture capital program. They said, hey, you know, I've got exposure to these kind of more conventional firms. Here's this other firm that's going to be operating at scale and, try, you know, and trying to hit the same types of return targets, but they're focusing on a completely different part of the market, these untapped market opportunities. So it's really a diversifier for those conventional portfolios, and we take all types. So and it ended up being pretty successful for so, us. So to ask the the frank question, yeah. has this has this unique investment perspective, three lenses, as yeah. you say, has that played to your advantage or disadvantage? I think it's absolutely played to our advantage. Right. So I think we're able to, you know, whether we're finding diamonds in the rough or we're unearthing opportunities that others just aren't seeing. Right. Or whether we're doing something so unique that we're able to rally resources to help our companies and to bring other investors in, along with us, we have a very differentiated story. And in a time when there are just you know so many venture strategies coming to the market and right. LPs are in yeah. the position of trying to choose you know among them, That's right, yeah. you know we really stand out because we're doing something in a really different way and we're doing it at institutional scale. There are a lot of other funds out there that are operating in the kind of the ten, twenty, twenty five million dollar mark, but there's very very few with a focus like ours that can actually step up and write a three to five million dollar check to help that company get to the next level. And to that end, like for the when you're referencing the check, so when you mentioned early stage for Rethink Impact, what does that mean? Is that seed stage to A and some B, or what do you what do you would like to focus? Yeah, so we're primarily A and B, mm-hmm. um, but we're really stage agnostic. I mean, we can do a little bit of C if we want to. We can go earlier and do seed. Um, but I think our sweet spot is really in that Series A, Series B. We like for companies to have that product market fit. We like them to be at kind of a million in revenue or just getting close to it. Really differentiated technology, pretty complete management team. So it's not, you know, two gals in a PowerPoint coming out of a garage. It's it's a real business that's, that's got some legs under it that's really poised to get to that next level of growth. Right. And then venture capital, as we were talking earlier about the gender diversity um, leadership, which you look at in the companies in which you invest, mm-hmm. um, in general, the Valley, it's not just the Valley, but in general, this entrepreneurial ecosystem here and elsewhere has an uh, imbalance of women representative. And how would you describe um, what's going on right now, given the growth, you know, the interest from LPs and in, in your fund and what's going on in the Valley? How is it evolving or not? 
because um, you're clearly contributing to affecting change. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting. So, I mean, this, the stats are kind of crazy. So it's 2% of all venture dollars last year went to female-led businesses. I think what's really interesting about our story is... It's stunning. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's stunning, right? right. And it's, there's really no shortage of incredible female entrepreneurs. There's just something broken in our system. And thankfully, there's a lot of, you know, really hardworking people that are trying to fix it. I think what's really, you know, even more stunning to me is that, you know, the my partner, Jenny Abramson, um, her mom was a VC 20 years ago. Wow. And so we were looking at some press coverage of, of her mom, and the stats were the same. We've made no progress in 20 years. That's astounding. <laughs> That's absolutely astounding. It is. So then we look at our portfolio, right? And, you know, we've got 84.4% of our dollars going towards female CEOs. So we're doing something just, you know, really, really different. And there's actually a lot of positive momentum in the market, which is great to see. You know, there are new funds that are just for women that are coming out, whether it's Jesse Draper and Halogen Ventures or Susan Line and BBG or Anu Dugal and the Female Founders Fund. And then you have female partners who are going out and launching conventional funds. And these are incredible investors, right? Eileen Lee, Kirsten Green, right? Incredible investors. And then you have um, traditional firms that are hiring female partners for the first time. Mm-hmm. So Karen Norman, you know, joining Upfront Ventures um, or Sarah Tavel joining Benchmark, right. right? So or Rebecca Caden joining Union Square Ventures. So you're seeing positive change and you're seeing a lot of emerging firms coming out trying to do something fundamentally different in the VC sector. And that's so super do exciting. You think, do you think these changes are sustainable? I mean, I mean, you're in the middle of it and, uh, you know, there, there are industry trends and dynamics that come and go and going, yeah, you know, whatever. I mean, in, yeah. in three years time, it's like it's back to business as usual. I mean, do you, do you I think see this I as think, sustainable? I think we're at the beginning of a tidal wave of change. And it's just, it's so exciting to be, you know, here and be part of it and hopefully contributing to it. Right. You know, think about, so... You know, I can't remember exactly what the stats are, but it's something like, you know, U.S. Trust has done reports on this. A lot of the the big financial advisory firms have done reports on this where they say 50 percent of all baby boomers want to do impact investing or are already doing it. Seventy five percent of millennials are already doing impact investing or want to do it. Seventy four percent of women think that social and environmental considerations should be part of investment decision making. And what's really exciting is that in I think in 2020, two thirds, sorry, in 10 years from now, two thirds of all the wealth in our country is going to be in the hands of women. Wow. Well, that's a that's, change. Yeah. That is yeah change. I would and, say. and if you think about, you know, so the majority of the vast majority of our wealth will be in the hands of women and the things that they think and they want to be part of investment decision making has to do with social and environmental considerations. Okay. If the financial advisory investment community can't catch up to that, it's going to be a real problem. So I think that there's real disruption and change, and it's, we're just starting to see the very beginnings of it now. If you are just joining us, we are talking with Heidi Patel, who's a, a partner at Rethink Impact. It's a, a unique early-stage venture capital firm that invests through three lenses, we've learned. Mm-hmm. One is returns, financial returns. One is uh, using technology as a foundation for change. Mm-hmm. And third is diversity with focus on uh, women-managed or women-founded startup companies. And it's... Um, I mean, it's, it's it's a pleasure to have this discussion. I mean, frankly, most of the uh, founders and most of the VCs that we've had on this program have been, you know, kind of the, the white geeks, right? <laughs> I mean, so... Percentage, yeah. And, we've had and there has been a lot of publicity about 
um, the need for and the absence of diversity in the workplace, yep. particularly in Silicon Valley, That's which right. has always been self-styled as some sort of a meritocracy, but in fact is not. That's right. So um, I want to come back to you, Heidi, because sure. I kind of envision you and your partner. Her name is? Jenny Abramson. Jenny Abramson, yeah. So you walk into this group of steely-eyed old white guys wearing ties <laughs> right. and looking critically like these guys are going to manage our money. Yeah. So I'm just going to go back and recap on what you've done in your past that brings you to the point where you can look steely-eyed back at these guys right. and say, you know, I can do this and here's what I'm going to do for you. I mean, yeah. what what is it about you and your co-founder that uh, that's in your past that enables you to respond to that question? Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting, and I have been in those rooms, right, where you're sitting and you're facing 35 middle-aged men in their suits and their ties, and they've got their arms crossed, and they're kind of staring at you, and you're probably not going to change their minds for a while, right? But yeah. the world is just much broader than that. right? And when you think about where the wealth sits and what those limited partners and what those investors and those families want to do with their dollars, we're pretty aligned with that. That being said, you know, I do I've been I've been in the venture space for 17 years. So I've worked on, you know, 40 transactions, 50 transactions at this point. Um, I also spent five years. So you know the drill. I know the yeah, drill. Yeah. I, I hope I do. You know, yeah. it's, it's certainly you know, it's certainly a, a, a journey. Um, and it's one where we're constantly learning and, and the space is so dynamic. It's you can never learn enough and you're, you're never there. You're just still constantly learning which is what I love about it. Right. But I also spent, you know, five years building a billion and a half dollar portfolio along with a team of, you know, 30 of my colleagues that had, you know, we were fiduciary. So we had financial goals to hit right. and we had impact goals to hit. So we built an endowment style portfolio of 130 plus investments that were, you know, focused on solving big issues in sustainable agriculture, alternative energy, local economic development. But we had financial, you know, return targets to hit along the way. And so I think that, that experience at that scale, I think really helped build my credibility going in. And then my partner, Jenny, um, is this incredible operator. You know, she's been a tech CEO. She's been a chief, you know, revenue officer at a, at a tech company before. She was a general manager for several large business units at the Washington Post. So she has this incredible operating background. And I think together, we're really a dynamic duo. And that, that's part of what makes our story so unique. Right and a true and, and an asset in addition to the you know the uh, financial expertise venture building businesses to the portfolio companies. That's right. You know, I think we're really trying to build a different type of venture firm from the ground up. I think traditionally venture's really been an eat what you kill kind of culture. Right. 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 It's all about deal attribution: who brings in what and who's you know, what, whose individual deals are doing great. And Jenny, you know, has is really has a vision for collaboration, and she's totally brought me, you know, up to speed and on board with that. And so we very much work hand in hand, and we're really kind of this chocolate and peanut butter, you know, combination. <laughs> That's great, That's you know. Great. And it's it's I've learned a ton from her, and hopefully, you know, we're learning together. And I think our portfolio companies, as you mentioned, really benefit, right? And so we are part of the diligence process together. We're in decision making together. And then when our companies come in to our portfolio and we're on their boards, they really get to benefit from both of us working hard for all of our businesses all the time. So how's it going? I mean, you have invested your in seven companies so far and led are leading or have led two investments. We've actually we're in or fourteen. Oh, okay, wow. Yeah, thinking we've led five. So we've been busy. We've been really, really busy. Thank you, thank you. What's the range of the companies in terms of sectors? Like, do you find, um, you know, is it a function of the, the right deal? So it's very subjective on the one hand, um, but I'm sure it's a Across a range of industries, because that's your or sectors, because that's your thesis. Yeah, we, you know, I think it is definitely. We're always trying to find 
the best deal as possible. And we see, you know, we're going to see thousands of deals every year. And we right. really have to focus on that top, you know, half a percent of deals. And so most of our job is unfortunately Say saying no, no <laughs> right. but we're always trying to find, you know, folks or resources or connections to help these female entrepreneurs. Even if it's a no, we try to send them away with something. Right. Um, and the port- the portfolio mix in terms of themes is is it's a balancing act, right? So right. we definitely have companies that are you know working on big health issues, you know, using technology. We have companies that are focused on issues around air pollution and air quality, water scarcity and water quality, um, bringing critical life skills to K twelve students, mm-hmm. um, helping to solve some of the alternative energy financing issues that are prevalent within emerging markets. So you know what you're not going to see in our portfolio. Of of, you know, female-led companies is a bunch of, you know, apparel companies or cosmetics companies. These are business, you know, businesses run by women who are using scientific innovation and technology to solve big, serious problems. I think that's part of it's. I get really excited about every day. It's really exciting. How long has Rethink Impact been around as a firm? How long have you guys, the two of you guys, been doing this? Yeah, so we've been together. It'll be two years in February. So we're still pretty new, but we're part of a platform that's been going for about 35 years. So I think that that really has helped us kind of, you know, hit the ground running. So so the question for you, which is, um, it's a bit of a cliched question, but it's one that is near, it's it's, uh, central to every VC, which is deal flow. How do you generate deal flow. I mean, I, I know, I mean, having spent, so I was a practicing lawyer working with a big tech mm-hmm. f- law firm in Silicon Valley for many years. And it's all about deal flow for the VCs. I mean, they're constantly looking for ways to get access to that next great deal. And they, you know, they use referral sources and so forth. But how about for you and Jenny? I mean, two years is very young mm-hmm. and deal flow is only, I mean, it, I guess, I mean, first of all, you, you were successfully raised the fund, which yep. is, that's critical, yep. right? But now now you need to go out and find deals. Yep. So how do you do that? I'm curious to know what, if your networks or your patterns of uh, business sourcing are somehow different. And yeah. finding 14 deals within the two years yeah, sounds I mean, pretty amazing. So for, yeah, people, so for people who are listening, yeah. <laughs> I mean, doing 14 deals it's in not, two years, no. if you look at the activity levels of traditional big institutional VC firms, that are huge in terms of money and people. I mean, you're, you guys are running. You're doing a lot. Yeah. We are, and we're working really, really hard for the companies sure. that come in. And, the, and part of that is, I think, because of our strategy of working with women and working with impact businesses, you know, we have, we really want them to survive. You know, when you look at early stage, com- early stage funds, I think one of the best early indicators of performance is just survival rate. Are they still around? So everyone's still around today, which is great. (laughs) And we're working really hard for them. Um, So in terms of deal flow, you know, what was really interesting is um, Jenny and I found each other through a business school friend. Um, And I consider myself, hey, I've been in the space for a while. I've got a pretty good network. I went to business school. She had done the same. And Mm -hmm. I think we had had one point of overlap in our LinkedIn networks. That's so interesting. Which was oh, really great. hard from a diligence perspective to try to get to know each other, you know, before we decided <laughs> to work together. Yeah. And we had this instant chemistry. That's you know, great. I think we're just so aligned and, you know, the work chemistry is there. So we're kind of you know, off to the races and, and she's just an incredible partner. Um, but our networks are just it really expands our networks, which is great and really beneficial. Mm-hmm. 
And then, you know, we've got 100 plus investors who really care about what their dollars and our fund are doing. And they really are invested in, in what we're trying to accomplish. And so we get a lot of deal flow from our investors. It's like so purpose-driven. So yeah. purpose-driven. They want to kind of touch and feel what's happening with Rethink Impact in a different way than they do with some of the more conventional firms that they're working with. And so we just use that to our benefit and we celebrate it and we actually get a ton of value from it. Um, I also teach impact investing at the business school at Stanford. And so just being part of that network. And Jenny's really active with HBS and Georgetown. So working those. But, you know, I think the the classic thing people say about some of the best entrepreneurs you find are um, through uh, your other entrepreneurs. And we've definitely found that to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've also found a ton of our companies during the diligence process when we're talking to other investors or other co-investors and say, hey, you know, if, you, if this is the kind of thing you're focused on and you like, I've got another company for you. So we, you know, we're, we're we're working on deal flow from from all sides. And, you know, we also issued a, an open letter to female founders a couple months ago in response to some of the things you mentioned that are happening in our industry to say, just to say, like, hey, we created this firm from the ground up just for you. Right. You know, we're going to do office hours um, in all three of our markets every month for the next six months. Come and see us. And so that's also generated a lot, a lot of buzz and created some deal flow. That's a great idea. So, so where are you? You're in that. I mean, you have... Jenny's in New York. Heidi, you are here in San Francisco. And then you have a D.C. office also. So Jenny's actually in D.C., which, mm-hmm. which is great because there's not, you know, not a ton of VCs that are down there. So that gives us some great coverage there. Then the rest of our firm, which has been around you know, for 30 plus years, and we're the 10th mm-hmm. fund to come out of this platform. So I think that's also really helped on deal flow and helped with just that, that institutional foundation and basis. So they, they are there in New York. Got it. And are you looking to expand beyond these three cities? You know, potentially, I think... Cover a lot of waterfront yeah, yeah. already. <laughs> already yeah. no, not that you don't have we your do. hands full. We but. do. And I think, you know, our portfolio kind of tells the story. We lead half our deals and half we co-invest. And so I think we're really looking for some great partners in the Midwest and the South. We'd really like to have some portfolio companies from those geographies that don't typically get a lot of the, the, the mainstream VCs coming through. And the kind of problems that they're solving is still impactful, but then regional, like from the Midwest That's right. manufacturing. That's right. Um, we're gonna need, we need to take a short break. Uh, uh, we'd love to come back and continue the conversation. I'm Irina Yen along with Doug Collum, and our guest this hour is Heidi Patel, partner at Rethink Impact. You're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back to Bay Area Ventures on Sirius XM's business radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Irina Yen, along with Doug Collum, and our guest this hour is Heidi Patel, partner at Rethink Impact. And when we left off, we're just starting to talk about the type of companies that Rethink Impact invests in. Um, And we'd love for our listeners to understand some of the trends um, that you're seeing in the impact investing space and for Rethink Impact specifically, what you see as your competitive advantage vis-a-vis the other uh, investors in this space. Sure. So I think for us, some of the trends that we're seeing – one of the things that's really showed up in our portfolio a lot is this idea of um, creating net new data sets and kind of data for good. I was just hearing over lunch about the University of Chicago's um, Data Science for Public Good program, which was, mm-hmm. I think, funded by the Schmidt Foundation, the Schmidt family, which is really interesting. And so I'd say right now, almost all of our portfolio companies are trying to hire data scientists, and they're really looking for women. That's so interesting. Which is really, really interesting. And so we have some companies that are trying to create just entirely new data sets around air quality and really mapping air quality on a block-by-block basis. Another one of our companies is trying to do the same thing for water. 
and trying to do remote continuous monitoring of water quality and water contamination. And it has applications for municipalities, applications in food and bev, applications within agriculture and aquaculture. Super interesting. I mean, another company that, you know, similarly on this kind of the data point is really trying to collect um, a global population level data set around cognition, understanding cognition really as the new vital sign that really can help us understand treatment plans and overall health and wellness in a way that hasn't really, just like just as you're taking your temperature or your blood pressure, you really should be assessing your cognition as well. So what is cognition? Just like your mental, like where you are, like from a dimension or like how tuned in you are, like for lack of a better description. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So I think what's interesting is so we think when we think about, you know, digital health investing, some people say, well, you know, isn't all digital health or all healthcare investing impact investing? And I guess there's an argument, you know, potentially, yes. But what we do is really try to find digital health companies that are focused on issues that have a disproportionate effect on our our more vulnerable communities, whether it's women, lower income communities, communities Mm -hmm. of color. So like, for example, we have a company that's working on Alzheimer's and women make up two thirds of all Alzheimer's patients and African-Americans are two times as likely to suffer from Alzheimer's. But it's not something that, you know, people talk about a lot, those kind of demographic um, trends. And so they've developed... Uh, a diagnostic tool which helps to identify those early stages of cognitive decline, you know, three to five years earlier than all conventional methods, and then they pair that with a, with digital therapeutics. So really thinking about are there ways to address these big issues and not through the pharmaceutical route, but using digital tools instead. So I wonder if I can ask kind of a probing question. So take take one of those examples. So you have sure. a, a company, data science, and you're monitoring air quality. Yep on a block-to-block basis, yeah. which is fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, this is a financial investment, and there is an expectation from these steely-eyed LPs and uh, other investors that you're going ret- to provide a return. So the question is, can you monetize? I mean, social benefit, I'm, I'm, be- I'm being the devil's advocate here. Sure. I mean, it's a real interesting, sounds great, you know, it, it plays well in the press, but you know, I'm expecting a 20% return on my investment over the course of 10 years. Are you guys going to, where's the monetization for that air quality monitoring company? Yeah. So it's all about the data and who can, who can benefit from it. So think about for, you know, for example, it might be easier for you to get your hand around um, indoor air quality, for example, right? So I think one in eight people, um, one in eight deaths around air quality happen um, because of indoor air, air pollution. So think about, um, that's so the, amazing. Yeah. One in eight deaths for indoor air is driven. Is for to- pollution related, happens with indoor air pollution. Yeah. I think we should leave this room. Right. I know. <laughs> well, I was door, actually, I was actually noticing door. that now, and I've invested in this company. I'm like really oh attuned to rooms that have you know really limited circulation. So this company worked with a really large enterprise, mm-hmm. and they put their air quality sensors in all of their buildings, including in their phone rooms. And they found that in these small phone rooms where we all have worked for hours and hours on phone calls or, you know, getting away from an open, you know, work environment to try to, you know, crank out a memo or a model or what have you. Um, after 10 minutes in one of these little phone booths, the air quality becomes so bad, it actually starts to impair cognitive function. That's incredible. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. That explains it. No, I'm <laughs> so if you think about, you know, if you've got oh. this really expensive workforce, right, or a really vulnerable population that you're putting into a hospital, right. and the air that's around you as actually, you know, lowering productivity, lowering cognition, worsening patient right. outcomes... You start to really care about that. I'm persuaded. (laughs) I'm persuaded too. (laughs) That's remarkable. Yeah. Um, Can I ask another trend question? I mean, Irina started us down this thread of thought. 
B corporations or benefit corporations. Right. I at one point I looked at uh, again. So my background was doing a lot of startup company work on the company side, involving VCs investing in companies, and you have companies that do social impact. And um, there was a question, and then a, a bunch of states started adopting this new corporate animal called a, B, a benefit corporation. Yep. And there's a, a third-party group of, uh, that does B certifications That's to right. confirm that you're you're doing good things. But I don't see many companies. I mean, they purport to be involved in social impact, mm-hmm. but they're not benefit corporations. And frankly, I mean, investors don't know how to deal. I mean, it is a strange corporate beast. It kind of yeah. behaves differently than a standard subchapter C corporation. What are you seeing, Heidi? I mean, do you see benefit? Cor- I mean, these, this strange new corporate animal mandated by the state called a benefit corporation. Do you see benefit many? Corporation? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's actually four thousand of them now in the U.S. Whoa! Wow. Yeah, which is really interesting, right? And so these are people that have actually worked these um, different aspects into their corporate charter. And so you can become a Delaware certified public benefit corporation. And actually, some of the biggest law firms who are most active in working in the entrepreneurial community are starting to tailor and specialize in helping companies do this, like Cooley. Um, so I was actually on a panel for that law firm um, on this exact topic. Um, and so what's really interesting is, is the rise in public benefit corporations and kind of the value that can have both for a signaling effect to um, employees to customers and to investors. So I talked with this large um, philanthropy forum last week, and a lot of the families said, "Well, you know, I'm interested in impact investing, but how do I get started? You know, right. If I don't, if I can't afford to have a 30-person yeah. firm, you know, you know, working on my portfolio like you know, the one you worked for, Heidi, like how do I actually get started?" And so I said, "You know, think about those issues that you really care about on the grant-making side of the house, right? And try to figure out if there are startups or private companies that are working on these issues. And you can use things like the public benefit core sort of certification, these PBCs, as a signaling effect and kind of a, an early diligence screen. Mm-hmm. So you can really identify those companies that have authentic impact." Deals. DNA. So companies that aren't really doing it for the marketing, but they've taken that really serious step of actually working it into their charter. Um, B Corps is actually something different. So I think that there's 2,300 B Corps in, in 30 countries globally, and that's um, a certification run by the B Labs, which is really, it. it's kind yeah. of a, a good corporate citizenry survey where they score you. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, an, another kind of, uh, it can be a, a signal um, for the investment community. So, so I, I've always been wanting to ask this question, and I now have somebody who's smart on the subject who can answer <laughs> it. So when you're looking at an investment and in a, in a t- take a startup company mm-hmm. and in one case, it's a startup company that is a vanilla-flavored subchapter C corporation, mm-hmm. and there the charter of the document by state mandate says your obligation as directors and executives of the company are to manage to optimize value for shareholders. Yeah. That's that's the, the center, the, the key tenet. Mm-hmm. And then you have a benefit corporation. And how is that different from the vanilla-flavored version? Yeah, so what the PBC allows companies to do is to consider um, more aspects of their business. So to consider the environmental impacts, to to consider the community impacts alongside the financial implications. As part of their overall fiduciary duty. As part of their overall fiduciary duty. And it comes with requirements to um, have a third party assess what what they're purporting to achieve on the impact side and then to report that out every two years. So does that? So here's now. Here's the drum roll. This is the key <laughs> question. Does that color your view when you're looking at writing a check 
to an early stage company, does it matter to you whether it's a public benefit corporation or a standard vanilla flavored C corporation? Yeah, you know, we don't seek it out. And I always say, you know, if you can find something that's simple, do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we certainly don't screen it out either. And we do look for companies that have that are demonstrating to us that they have impact DNA. So I think it can be a great thing, but we certainly don't. We don't seek it out. It's not. It's not a requirement. It's not for like us. a screen that you say. It's not a, gotta check that It's box. not a screen. That yeah, and there's still only four thousand, right? So it's it's still it, you know if we were if we were to focus only on that, and I do think that you know PBC focused funds are coming, which mm-hmm. I think actually will be great for the market. Um, but we're not. I don't think we're there quite yet. Okay. Got it. What percentage on the in LP or limited investment, limited partners like LP investors who invest in funds like we think impact? Are you seeing the percentage of their portfolios being allocated to impact investing? Because you had mentioned earlier that some some investors are kind of learning about this yeah. space. We're learning about it. We're not quite sure, but we know we want to. This is important to us, and and help us learn as we go. And we're going to invest in you to kind of learn as we go to make yeah. it to affect change. I mean, I think the reality is that people are still doing impact investing as a slice. You know, they're Mm -hmm. taking 5% of their portfolio and saying to their financial advisor, to their investment advisor, hey, I want to do something impactful with these dollars, Mm -hmm. Um, which is great because, you know, I think right now we need something like $15 trillion or $6 trillion a year every year or $15 trillion a year every year for the next six years in order to tackle any of the UN SDGs. So we need a massive amount of capital to be like flowing into the market um, to attack the UN SDGs. And I think right now... So, Sarah, UN SDG is... U- uh, U- United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Okay, thank yeah. you. Um, and right now, I think we only have... So it's $6 trillion a year, and we only have $360 billion of philanthropic capital flows every year. So the gap of social huge purpose gap. capital yeah. is huge. So we've right. got to figure out ways to bring commercial capital into the space. And and what's what's the barrier? Is it just folks don't know enough about it, and so they're willing to try dip their toe in the water and allocate a slice of that in, capital to that investment vehicle and impact investing, or is it is it more is it more that, or is it something else that's driving that? It's interesting. So you know, there there's definitely supply and demand issues going on, right? So on the one hand, there's never been a better time to to dip your toe in and to get involved, right? So what I'm seeing, having been in this now for right. 13 years. What I'm seeing more and more is really talented entrepreneurs, like serial entrepreneurs, repeat entrepreneurs entering the space. And they're partnering up with some of the best tech talent in the market, and they're launching these impact companies. So they're creating really interesting impact investing opportunities, and the investment world is taking notice. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you're finding... um, LPs, limited partners, and family offices and high net worths who want to figure out ways to activate more of their assets. Maybe they've been really philanthropic. Maybe they've done this kind of 5% slice or experiment and they've had great results. And they want to figure out a way to activate the entirety of their portfolio to be more aligned you know, with their values and with their philanthropic goals. And so these forces together, I think, are really creating a really, um, it's really right now, it's the fastest growing part of the financial services industries, which is, which is really exciting. And I think people are figuring out that you can actually use impact as a lens on your whole portfolio. It doesn't have to be this carve out. You can look at your liquid assets. You can look at your um, structured credit. You can look at your real estate investments and start to think about, are there ways to achieve sustainability goals um, or community development goals through my real estate portfolio as well as my venture capital portfolio? Or you know, TI Craft has a social choice bond fund, mm-hmm. um, which screens out certain industries and then tilts towards social purpose bonds. 
And, you know, that is a great performing, um, it's a great performing intermediate bond fund. It was the best, you know, the best intermediate bond fund in its class in 2014. So there's no compromise. And so people are figuring out ways to use impact as a lens and activate it in all the different asset classes. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Heidi Patel, partner at Rethink Impact, and we're talking about the trends of impact investing in general um, and, and the, the um, what's driving that. One of the things that I thought was really interesting, you mentioned that you teach a class on impact investing. So yeah. as we think about the next generation of investors in general, impact investors, and certainly you know impact entrepreneurs, what... When they're, what do they want to learn when they're in your class? What are they seeking to learn? Are they just in general the space? How does it work? Or, or on the entrepreneurship side, or even on the investor side, I have a purpose and a pa- passion slash purpose, and I want to affect change in this generation. Are you seeing an increase in the number of students who are interested in this space, or are you seeing you know folks who are just interested in finance in general and they see it as an opportunity to, you know, expand their skill set, if you will? I think it's both. Mm-hmm. I think it's both. Right. So. When I graduated from business school, I was one of seven people in my class to go into the social sector. So that, I mean, which is out of, you know, 300 and something. I'm sorry, Heidi, this is at GSB? At the GSB, okay. yeah. Um, now, my class um, that I co-teach um, is one of about 40 or 45 classes from the Center of Social Innovation. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. huge so it's expansion just, of the It's curriculum. just incredible, right? And, so, and that's all driven by student demand. Wow. Right. It's all driven by student demand. And so we're seeing folks that are coming from the nonprofit sector or coming from the social sector and say, hey, you know, I really want to get involved in impact investing. I think that finding, you know, market driven solutions, private sector dollars into businesses that can become self-sustaining is actually the best way to create the most impact at scale. And then we have folks from the private equity community or folks that are in wealth management who are coming into class saying, hey, you know, I'm real. I'm seeing the writing on the wall. My industry is changing. This is what clients increasingly are going to want. And if I want to succeed in this in this field, I should really get ahead of this and figure out what are the different ways to put dollars to work that are aligned with impact. And so what we would actually do is take our students through this hypothetical exercise mm-hmm. where they're building a hundred million dollar portfolio using impact as a lens. And they're looking at deals and we have simulated investment committees where students form teams and they're pitching deals and reviewing deals and in funds and direct investments across multiple asset classes and multiple impact teams. And it's, it's pretty fun. Oh, that's exciting. And I'm, I was wondering also from an impact investment from a deal structure standpoint, I mean, at the end of the day, like you had mentioned, you have a fiduciary responsibility to deliver returns. And so to what extent does the impact investing, say a term sheet, look different than any other venture deal? Is it the same or what, what things kind of look different? Yeah, I would say it's it's pretty much the same. I think our strategy, and it's the, it's the same approach we took with our, even our fund docs, right? You know, our strategy is so different. We want to be as boring and as plain vanilla as possible on the right. structure front, right? So that CEOs or CIOs will say, okay, I've seen this structure before. It's just the strategy that's a little bit different. Right. So we kind of take the same approach with our term sheets. The one thing that we do... Um, is that we include a clause saying we are going to be collecting a small set of impact metrics from you on a semi-annual basis. And so part of taking your money is committing to providing those four or five impact KPIs, impact key performance indicators to us twice a year. And then we take those and report those back to our investors. Can you share what some of those might be? I'm wondering what that would entail. Yeah. So with our cognition company, you know, we have and we have two of them that sort of focused on the on these some of these issues, but we are tracking the number of tests taken, the countries and how that breaks down by gender. 
um, with our air quality company and our water quality company, we are, we are tracking the number of data streams coming in and where those data streams are coming in from. You know, with Change.org, one of our investments, we're tracking, you know, the millions of people that are joining that community every week. We're tracking how the petitions on the site might break down, whether it's um, between environmental issues, gender equality issues, poverty alleviation. So you customize your KPIs per company? We do. Because company. we're a multi-theme fund, mm-hmm. um, we really try to figure out in partnership with our CEOs, what are those four or five metrics that really help us understand the impact they're creating on the world? I want to come back to a a question that uh, Irina alluded to a few minutes ago, which is differentiation. Mm -hmm. I mean, so as you look across the the landscape of VC firms, you know, some have domain expertise, some have uh, lobbyists in Washington, D.C., some people have a whole cadre of kind of non-professional employees who provide... um, support in strategic marketing in recruiting in marketing and so forth. Yeah. I mean, everyone seems to have a hook and maybe Heidi, you've already answered the question because your hook is uniqueness in uh, diversity and technology driven change and um, in financial returns. But do you, at some point you're down, you're sitting in the board meeting opposite the founders and executives of the company Mm -hmm. and they're looking back at you and, So what, I mean, is there a point of differentiation in the boardroom? How do you guys think of yourselves in terms of, uh, you know, the point of excellence that you guys bring to the table? Yeah. I mean, part of it is our partnership dynamic and the fact that we're a first-time fund. So we're young, we're hungry, right? Um, And we work hard for our companies. We're not existing on, you know, management fees from, you know, funds that are two or three or four Roman numerals behind us. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, So we live and die on the the performance of this portfolio. So we want want it to succeed and we want the impact to be created. And part of it has to do with the the dynamic between, you know, Jenny and myself and our firm, where we work really hand in hand and and our companies um, are able to access our respective networks, right? Mm -hmm. So Jenny, you know, she's a long time, she was born and raised in D.C. DC. She's been there for a really long time. You know, she worked with DC public schools. She'd worked for Teach for America. So she has a re- you know really deep networks within the education community and within kind of the DC community. And then you know, we recently invested um, in a company that works on alternative energy finance. And I've actually worked for one of those businesses and lived in India for a year doing that and made lots of connections through that. So I was actually able to bring that's called domain expertise. <laughs> that's right. called domain expertise. I know how to yeah. do that. Check and check. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it was just one year, but I've I've walked in the shoes of someone that's worked in that environment and tried to you know create one of these companies from the ground up and in these markets. And it's it's really challenging. But I you know I I reached out to a lot of people I knew during that year, and now I'm able to kind of bring bring those contacts to bear. You know for for this company and hopefully it's helpful so i think we've had you know pretty varied careers all you know um, within this impact space but we're able to bring bring those connections in to help our businesses and whether it's even you know making sure that their um, their internships get posted you know to the to the business schools right Mm -hmm. or being able to have a social media presence and helping our companies with hiring um, and people are following us because they care about gender and everyone's trying to get female engineers into their businesses right now. Right. So we can kind of help with that piece as well. And then through our investor base, you know, which is, you know, so there's so many incredible, successful entrepreneurs within our investment base and having, having that expertise and that those networks. Unique, yeah. Say, yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think it, it does, it does kind of differentiate us a bit. So we have only a couple, maybe a couple minutes left and I've, um, I wish we had about another hour left. No. Let me ask you a question. Um, 
I guess it's a question that I would flip to you because it is a, a unique opportunity. A lot of the students here at Wharton will say, I want to get into venture capital. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there are women students here that uh, throw that question at you, and you must hear this a lot, how do you respond? Or is there, a, maybe there's no obvious answer, but I'm asking it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think I might answer that question, how to get into impact investing, right? So That's, that's where you start, impact investing? Or if there are women who want to get into... Into venture more generally? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think business school is such a great way to make that transition. And whether it's taking coursework or taking advantage of all the opportunities that business school students have to do internships, to do extracurricular projects, to do consulting, to do business plan competitions, do it all. And if you can, and even like cold calling some of these firms and saying, hey, I see that you're focused on digital health or I see that you're focused on fintech for good. I would love to do a market landscape for you. Would that be helpful? Can I just do this for you? And I would maybe I'll take five or 10 hours of your time or the next quarter and you'll have it, you know, you'll have a tool and I'll be able to put your logo on my resume. Mm -hmm. So just really, you know, being scrappy and and having some hustle and and really demonstrating that this is a field that you want to be in and being willing to do, you know, to kind of go the extra mile to get the experience that you may not have had coming into school. That's great advice. Um, Last question, which is how do people reach you? If, if they have a deal or they want to just talk to you more or just get a, get in contact, how do they reach you? Yeah, you can go to our website at rethinkimpact.com. You can reach me at Heidi at rethinkimpact.com. And we're both we're really active on Twitter as well, so you can find us there. Well, I have to say, this has been great. Um, as I say, we have not had many um, guests on the program who are VCs to begin with, who are professional investors as you are. And we certainly have not had anyone on the program in the three years that Irina and I have been doing this who brings your kind of, as you say, three lenses to the table. Yeah. So we we are out of time, but we'd like to thank you so much yeah, for joining us. It. Thanks and so much for having me. Light on this. And to f- find the, the firm itself, it's just rethinkimpact.com. That's right. Great. So thanks to everybody for joining us. If you've got a question about something we've you've heard on today's show, you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. As a reminder, we air live every Monday at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific. 7 p.m. Eastern, ideal for your commute rush hour. That's right. <laughs> um, so uh, once again, special thanks to our guest today, Adam Braun, co-founder and CEO at Mission U, and also thanks to Heidi Patel, a partner at Rethink Impact. Um, also thanks to our producer, Dana Cash, uh, uh, also our assistant producer who's here in the broadcast booth with us, Charlene Goto, and our engineer, Tatiana Zamis. Uh, This is Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. I'm Doug Collum, and I'm here with Irene Yen. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.